This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Also, make sure to check out and subscribe to our YouTube original channel, UCTV Prime, available only on YouTube at youtube.com slash UCTV Prime. This UCTV podcast is sponsored in part by Audible.com, your destination for the widest selection of digital audiobooks available, including many by guests you've heard here on UCTV. Audible.com is offering UCTV podcast listeners a free 30-day trial subscription and one free audiobook download. Just visit audibletrial.com slash UCTV to sign up. That's audibletrial.com slash UCTV. And thanks. Welcome everyone to the 12th Annual Big Bang Business Plan Competitions. We are excited to have the community join us for tonight's festivities. I am Nandini, a first-year MBA student at the Graduate School of Management and the co-chair of the Big Bang Organizing Committee. Joining me today in hosting this event to you is Divya, who is also the co-chair of the Big Bang Organizing Committee. Amongst us today are many industry executives, past and current sponsors of Big Bang, judges of Big Bang and entrepreneurs. More importantly, Amongst us are a million of millions of ideas. Big Bang has been instrumental in developing these ideas into action. The success of a business plan competition is measured by the value it provides to the participants. With that as a measure, we would like to say that you know Big Bang has been extremely successful. Two of our sponsors this year were previous Big Bang participants who have decided to contribute back to the program that, ha that helped them launch their ventures. At this time, I would like to thank our sponsors, without whom today would not be what it is. The gold sponsors, DLA Piper, who have been backing Big Bang for a quite number of years. For silver sponsors, we have Wooten Jones, Sacramento Municipal Utility District, the UC Davis Child Family Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. The bronze sponsors for this year are Bank of America, Central Valley Fund, Mark Otero, a GSM alumnus of 07, PIPRA, which is the Public Intellectual Property Resource for Agriculture, Sierra Energy, and Waypoint Ventures. This year, we also have in-kind sponsorship from Lamplight of Financials and the UC Davis Graduate School of Management. We would like to thank the Child Family Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship for the support given during this entire year for hosting Big Bang. Last but not the least, the members of the present and the past Big Bang committee committees for the great work done throughout the year. Now Divya will give you an insight into the process that the teams went through to make it to this stage tonight. Good evening, everyone. The Big Bang competition has been as grueling as ever. We started off with nearly 50 teams competing in the executive summary round. After several workshops, mentorship mixers, the top 15 teams that advanced into Little Bang to compete for a place in the semifinals. The winners of the semifinals, as you will see today, 
have endured the toughest rounds of judging and truly are the best of the best. This year, Big Bang, in partnership with the Medical Technology Commercialization Clinic at UC Davis, is proud to announce a new track in medical technology. We wish to thank the UC Davis Medical Technology Commercialization Clinic for partnering with Big Bang and sponsoring the MedTech Awards. We are giving away 20,000 worth of prize money to the winning teams this year. In addition to this, the MedTech track teams in the top three places in the open competition will be eligible for the Partnership of Innovation Grant. We thank our sponsors to help us support the teams in their entrepreneurial endeavors. To start things off, we invite Professor Hagedon, Graduate School of Management, Charles J. Sodekis, Chair in Entrepreneurship, Faculty Director, Child Family Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship, to share us his thoughts on Big Bang past, present, and future. All right, good evening, and welcome to the uh, 2012 Big Bang uh, competition. I'm delighted to be here tonight to welcome you all and to, and to uh, give a few brief comments. Uh, first of all, because I arrived uh, at the GSM 10 years ago, and so this, this marks my 10th Big Bang, uh, and my seventh is the faculty advisor for the Big Bang. Uh, and, and I just want to share with you, those of you who particularly haven't been here for, the, for that time, um, share with you my experience, which is primarily one of, of, of incredible uh, satisfaction and, and surprise at just how dramatically the Big Bang competition has evolved year after year and over the entire decade. Uh, and, and let me tell you some of the core ways in which it's evolved. Um, in particular, when you see the companies presenting before you tonight, what I want you to see is the extent to which the, the competition has changed from one in which everyone's talking about thinking about starting a business to talking about starting a business. In fact, to finally starting a business and talking about it. And moving from telling you what they're going to do to telling you what they're doing. And I can't stress enough this shift because in too many ways, in too many places, people spend most of their time talking and much less of their time actually doing. And entrepreneurship is nothing if it's not actually about the doing. So when we talk about these programs, what we're really interested in seeing is people doing things and telling us about them. I also want to take a, a moment to thank the, the Big Bang uh, management team this year because um, the Big Bang is a student-run competition. And the quality that you'll see tonight in the, in the ventures and their presentations will demonstrate the effort and the accomplishment that really uh, comes through from a, a year's worth of efforts uh, that, the, that the management team has put in. So I want to I uh, give my express thanks to the team for that. Wonderful job. Uh, the other thing I want to do is recognize that, in fact, despite, you know, or in spite of any heroic efforts on their part, the competition will not and does not succeed without the fantastic network of support that the Big Bang has built over the years to folks across the campus and in industry. And what you saw up on the, sh uh, on, on the slide in terms of the number of industry supporters is really only half the story because so many of those people and others give their time throughout the year to mentor students and teams and in the, in the actual judging. So I want to join the management team in thanking uh, all of our partners here that have, have done so much to make this a success. Thank you very much.
Okay, lastly, for those of you who know me, I would never, I would never uh, willingly, uh, um, I've never met a microphone I didn't like. I've never met an opportunity to lecture that I didn't take advantage of. So I, I want to I do one thing, one last thing, which is share my reasons why I think this program is so important for those who participate in it. Uh, first, the bad news, which is the job market remains pretty bleak. The recovery has been a recovery, a sort of a selective recovery, and graduates you know, uh, of universities, colleges, and, and graduate schools are not the first to, uh, to, to reap the benefits of this recovery. So unemployment rates and underemployment rates, which means those who hold part-time jobs not as many hours as they would like or are unable to leave the jobs for better jobs because there are none, um, those averages are at twice as high now as the national average have been. It's hard to find a job right now coming out of school. Large companies in the U.S. are still shedding more jobs than they're hiring, and the jobs they're hiring are still mostly overseas. Competition for the remaining jobs is, is increasing. And worse, it's increasingly focused on finding those people who can deliver, who can perform in the short run, meaning who can prove they've already done the job they're trying to get and have already done it well. This puts enormous demands on graduates, both at the undergraduate and graduate school levels. But on the brighter side, the prospects for starting a company have never been better. There have never been more reasons to start a new venture than there are today, whether that's changing the world, getting obscenely rich, controlling your own destiny, or in fact learning the most about business in the least amount of time. And starting a new business is now more acceptable and more accessible than ever before. And I'll come back to that in a moment. The point, though, that I, wanna, I want you to think about is, well, let me put, it, let me, let me put the advice uh, more, more directly into, you know, I was talking to a student this year who didn't get a job. They were heading home because they couldn't afford to go anywhere else. And the question I posed to them was, how would you like to spend the year? In other words, in another year when you're back on the job market and now competing with 2013 graduates, how do you want to explain how you spent that time? Do, what do you want to point to? You know, your top score on Halo? You know, your, your, you know, your employee of the month at Starbucks? Or the company you started and maybe failed, and here's what you learned about business as a result. Because if companies are looking for people who can get the job done when they arrive, nothing will train you better than trying to start your own company. But the most important thing I think that I want to stress about the opportunities in entrepreneurship is that you should never wait till you have a great idea. You should never wait for that blockbuster idea that nobody's ever had before. Because, quite honestly, there's no such thing as a great idea. What you have are many different ideas that only become great when you throw your heart into it and do everything that needs to be done to make it great. Until then, it's just like everybody else's idea. But you have the opportunity to do that. And what I will tell you is that when you do that, you will learn more and grow more than you've ever done before. A lot of you, you know, B 
being graduates or being almost graduates, got where you are today because you worked harder than everybody else, you figured out the rules, and you did better than anybody else did on those. What you'll learn from entrepreneurship is what it takes to set your own course, to choose the, your own problems to work on, to decide what is the right answer on your own, and to differentiate, differentiate yourself from everyone else who's trying to go down the same road. If you got where you are today because you bucked the rules and you set your own course, you're going to learn that there are enormous benefits from listening to the people who have gone before you, from the mentors that are here and participate in the Big Bang, and can tell you the kinds of rules you can break and the kind of rules you can't. And the lessons they give you, the rules of the road, are going to be enormously valuable because they've gone down the same route before you. So the last thing and the last reason I think that it's, it's incredibly valuable to participate in these programs is because uh, on the Davis campus there's never been more support for engaging in entrepreneurship than there is today. From the Child Family Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship and the programs we have like the Entrepreneurship Academies, which are three-day intensive courses to provide you with the business training you need to think about the ideas you want to start and how to get, how to get moving on them, to the Business Development Fellowship programs, which bring in science and engineering graduate students, to the business school to spend a year learning about what it takes to start a business, to Innovation Access, which is on campus here to help with intellectual property and licensing, and over in the engineering school, the Engineering Translation Technology Center, which helps to incubate companies. And lastly, a new program that we just introduced this year, Davis Roots, which is an accelerator located in downtown Davis, which provides space for companies moving out of the university and are ready to go uh, in search of funding. So I want to finish by saying there are never, uh, never better opportunities in the present to explore this new career alternative. And it's a career alternative that I think has never been, uh, never been better. I want to end with a, with a thanks to some students of mine who, who have gone forward and done exactly this. Uh, Rustaller, it's not an idea that's never been done before, but as, if you ask them, you'll find out that doesn't matter. You'll learn an enormous amount, and you'll make a great deal of contribution simply taking an idea that's been done before and putting your own spin on it. And so I'm, I'm actually really delighted to see these guys, J.E. And, and, and Liz, uh, right here, doing what I think so many people in the university can do, taking their own idea, setting their own course, and accomplishing uh, something that's great. So with that, I want to welcome everyone to the 2012 Big Bang and uh, to the presentations. Thank you, Professor Hagadon. In a few minutes, the five finalists will be making their pitches. Each team is given 10 minutes, and you, as the audience, will have the opportunity to pick the recipients of the People's Choice Awards. In your program brochure, you should be finding a ballot, which will determine, which we will be collecting at the end of the presentations, and which will make you determine the People's Choice Award winners. Be sure to cast your vote and have a say in determining the People's Choice Award winners. And now, what we've all been waiting for, the finalists of the Big Bang Business Plan Competition of 2012. Up first on stage is Labor Voices, with the innovative means of gaining supply chain intelligence. We welcome Labor Voices on stage. Good evening, everyone. I'd like to thank you all for coming. 
I'm Tim, and I'm really excited to talk to you today about labor voices. And what we do is we protect shareholder value through crowdsourced supply chain intelligence. Now, what that means is that we connect to factory workers in third world countries all over the world. They provide us with opinions about their workplace conditions. We take those opinions and transform that into intelligence that we can then market to brands like Nike and Disney. So we're talking about supply chain disruptions. I'm sure you're all familiar with Foxconn and Apple and all that controversy. Now, Apple has been dealing with these problems since 2010. And the reason why Apple hasn't been able to solve these problems in the last two years is, they, is because they rely on these third-party snapshot inspections. But before we get too deep into that, I want to talk a little bit about our team. We're led by Cole Gill, who has extensive experience in corporate social responsibility and international labor rights through his experience with the US State Department. Between the five of us, we've been involved in 11 different startup companies. Labor Voices has also established some pretty impressive milestones so far. We currently have a pilot in Bangalore, India, where we are gathering data as we speak. We also are in talks with Nike and Disney, and we actually have received our first revenue from Nike, so we're well on our way. So this is an example of a supply chain for a laptop computer. As you can see, it's incredibly complex. And the thing is, if there's a disruption anywhere on this map, it would result in a disaster for that company. In fact, it's not just Apple, it's Sun, it's Sony, it's Hershey. In fact, from 1989 to 2000, there have been over 800 disruptions. And these disruptions hurt. On average, there's a negative 40% stock hit for a company that experiences a disruption. So minus 40%, what does that mean? Well, for Apple, it's like $185 billion. For Dell, almost $13 billion. Procter & Gamble, $71 billion. In fact, if you take the top 25 supply chains, that's $1.2 trillion at risk. Now, to deal with this risk, companies rely on two things. One is supply chain management software. That market is $10 billion and growing. But our direct competitor is really the third-party inspector. Nike alone spends $10 million per year on third-party inspections. And the total market there is $10 billion as well. So we really represent the next generation solution. You see, third-party inspectors, they're prone to corruption, to bribery. But perhaps the worst thing is that there's no follow-up or accountability. That is, these inspectors can recommend changes, but there's no guarantee that the factory will actually follow through with it. Instead, if we get data from the workers themselves, we'd be able to get not only a continuous data stream, but more importantly, through our system, we'd be able to get public accountability. And the way we do that is with analytics. You see, Labor Voices uses analytics to change worker feedback into supply chain intelligence. And we see this as a win-win-win situation. You see, companies will win because they'll be able to tighten up their supply chains and protect shareholder capital. But the workers will also win because they'll find out where the best places to work are and thereby um, even, they can even fact check their jobs before they apply to them. And the best in-class suppliers will also win because they'll be judged on fair metrics, and if they really are the best, they'll be able to more quickly solidify their contracts with brands such as Nike and Disney. So here's our concept, and it's pretty simple. What we do is we partner with nonprofit organizations and NGOs on the ground. I mentioned that we had a pilot in South India. This is a picture of a lady who works for a nonprofit organization, and she's explaining to some garment workers how our system works, handing them flyers, telling them how they can call into our system, provide some opinions, and get some information about the working conditions about in the factories in that area. And we call this LV Connect, and that's our first barrier to entry. 
You see, by providing information that is really, really valuable to these nonprofit organizations, to the workers themselves, we lock them in as partners. Our second barrier to entry is the analytics that we perform on the data. On the data. And really, these two barriers to entry are amplifiers of our first mover advantage. Finally, once we package all this data up, we can sell it in the form of reports to brands so that brands can identify which factories are good and which are maybe not so good. So in a sense, we're a cross between Yelp and JD Power. So the workers themselves were like Yelp. That is, the workers feed us with opinions, and we feed those opinions back to the workers. And our system really hinges on the kinds of questions we can ask. For example, we can ask them, uh, how much are you getting paid? From that information, we can get a distribution of wages for each of the factories in that area. And so when a user calls in, you can find whether or not that, um, whether that worker is getting paid above, below, or at the average wage. But we can also ask them questions like, how, um, how many hours did you work a week? Or how many hours did you work today? You can think about the worker who's worked eight hours. And the product that that um, worker is producing is probably going to be a much higher, of much higher quality than, say, a worker who's been working 12 hours a day. We can also ask them, when was the last time you were paid? If a worker hasn't been paid for three weeks or a month, it could be indicative that that factory is undergoing some cash flow issues. And you know, companies would not want to work with a factory that has cash flow issues. It's indicative of poor management. So after we get this data, we can analyze it and sell it in the form of intelligence to brands such as Nike and Disney. And so here we're going to employ this sort of JD Power-like model. That is, we first sell this to the brands, Nike and Disney, but after an embargo period, we would release this data out to the public. And actually, Nike and Disney are very happy that we're going to do this because they see this as a very valuable marketing tool. Once that data is out in the public, we can partner up with companies such as GoodGuide. Now, GoodGuide is an iPhone Android app. You can snap a picture of a UPC, and it'll give you um, information on whether or not that product was made using fair trade. Now, you can imagine going to a Nike store, going to a pair of shoes, and snapping a UPC code there. With our, with our product, we'd be able, you'd be able to find out the factory working conditions in which those shoes were produced. Now, Nike, they're already paying us. And, the, and this check didn't come from the Vice President of Sustainability, which watches over labor rights issues. This check came from the Vice President of Operations, because they see us as a valuable supply chain monitoring tool for their entire global supply chain. That spans over 50 countries, and they want us to expand to all of it in the next five years. And we're very happy to do that. Here are some numbers from 2009 for Nike. Currently, they employ under a million, just under a million employees, and they have over 800 factories. Every year, they spend about $10 million on these inspections, on these third-party inspections. But there are also other inspections, such as um, environmental, uh, key performance indicators, things like that. So their total inspections that they spend on all of these things is actually around $40 million. So our total addressable revenue from Nike alone sits comfortably between these two numbers. We've also been talking to Disney. Now, Disney has a much larger supply chain, and they spend about $27 million per year on third-party uh, labor inspections. But for other inspections, they spend up to $150 million. And so our total addressable revenue from Disney would sit comfortably between these two numbers. So from there, we could build up our revenue model. After the first year post-funding, we hope to reach out to 80 different factories, and we'd be generating just under $3 million worth of revenue. After the third year, 
we hope to reach out to 1,000 different factories, generating just under $40 million worth of revenue. To get there, we're going to need angel investment. And after we've um, established some pretty clear milestones, we would begin to seek a Series A through venture capital. We'd be profitable at $3.6 million. And this model is actually based on a gross margin of 33%. 33%, what does that mean? Well, let's say Nike wants some information on a particular factory. We'll charge Nike $3,000 to generate the report, and it'll cost us about $2,000 to generate the report. But the thing is, this factory is probably also talking or producing goods for other brands, such as Disney and Gap. So we can use that same intelligence and sell it again and again, increasing our gross margins up to 77%. So we're seeking 750K, in angel investment. This would enable us to start a pilot in China in addition to the one that we have in India. We also need to develop our user interface so that brands can have a nice snapshot of which factories are good and which factories are maybe not so good. In addition to Nike and Disney, we hope to secure two additional contracts for a total of four. And at that point, we'd begin to seek a Series A. That's Labor Voices. Um, thank you all for your time. Next up, we have Simple Clean Tech, or S2E Energy, presenting their innovative ideas in solar energy industry. Thank you all for this opportunity. I am John Stravitis, and we are S2E Energy. As just clarified, we underwent a name change recently, previously Simple Clean Tech, so if that's reflected in your brochures, that's why. What we do, we make and sell a foundational component that enables solar energy to be 57 cents per watt and outperforms the competition by a factor of four. And this 57 cents per watt is very compelling for the solar industry, and I'll get into that in just one moment. So if you look at today's solar, it's approximately 74 cents per watt in production costs. Uh, we've seen as low as 69 cents per watt today on up to a dollar per watt. And if, if you take a 74 cent per watt solar cell and use our drop-in replacement product, that would immediately take that solar cell down to 57 cents per watt. And another compelling part about this, if you were already, say, today at 57 cents, or excuse me, 50 cents per watt, that cost would be brought down lower. So it will lower the cost regardless of the baseline cost. So what is this product? It's called a transparent conductor. It looks relatively simple. It's a very clear layer. But one very important aspect of this that doesn't occur naturally is that it needs to conduct electricity. And this is a fundamental component of thin film solar, and I'll explain to you today why we think this will open new doors for solar energy. So if you look at how you'd make a solar cell, you can think of it as a sandwich. You might start with a glass layer, and then on top of that, you would deposit S2E film. And then we would go to our customers, so we would sell this product to our customers, and they would deposit their own layer. So we're not a solar manufacturer, but rather you can think of it as an Intel inside for solar, just as Intel doesn't make their own computers. And then finally, this layer is backed off with a metal contact. You shine light on the solar cell, and electricity comes out. Now, this layer is critical for two fundamental reasons. Number one, it's the first layer to see light, as you can see in the diagram here, other than glass. And it's the last layer to see the electricity. And that's very critical. Got a sample of a solar cell here. So it has a very thin layer on top. And you can imagine peeling that layer back and putting our layer on top of that. That would enhance the efficiency and bring it down to a low cost solar cell. 
So again, just as a faster computer chip will enable a faster computer, a more conductive, transparent conductor will enable a more efficient solar cell. The team, I'm John Servitis. Uh, recently finished my PhD at Northwestern, which is where this technology was invented in the Tobin Marks Group, and uh, actually a graduate of the Green Tea Academy from UC Davis uh, two years ago, where I started realizing the benefits of doing <laughs> instead of thinking about it. Mike Morasco is a key team member for two reasons. Number one, he brings the business acumen, his over 30 years of business experience before he started the Farley Center of Entrepreneurship at Northwestern. And second, he's a critical tie to Northwestern, obviously important in terms of IP reasons. Finally, Paul Kalmus brings over 30 years of IP experience and is critical in this very technology-heavy space. Okay, so what's the market pain in solar? It's, a, it's an interesting market. It's got two tails. Number one, it is one of the fastest growing industries today. You may be seeing more of this hot sauce <laughs> on your tabletops in the diner recently, more yoga stews. Solar is one of the fastest growing industries, and it's been that way for over a decade now. But the other tale of solar is it seems like there's a solar business going out of business every day. And we believe this is due to some fundamentally uh, old technologies, and we're going to help our customers outperform in this highly competitive space, which is only going to continue to grow. What is that market like? Well, first, this transparent conductor market today is already about a $7 billion market. The thin film PV market, the entire market is currently about a $15 billion market, but solar has only scratched the surface. It's only going to continue to grow in the future. One metric you could think of is the U.S. electricity market, which is over $300 billion today. And another way to think about it is solar still provides less than 1% of our electricity. And clearly, in the next uh, decade, that's going to change substantially. So the way you're going to do that is to have some of the highest efficiency products. So again, conductivity, once you make this product clear, conductivity is a fundamental parameter. So today, it's almost like I'm moving my hand through the tar pit. It, it expends a lot of energy in the process. That's what the electrons feel. So just as long as, just as it takes us a lot of energy to put our hand through honey or a tar pit, it's the same thing with conductivity in solar. So if you can make it as though you're moving your hand through air, less energy is expended in the process. And that's the way to think about conductivity. So if you look at the leading products today, they're about 3,500. The metric is Siemens per centimeter. What this translates to is an immediate efficiency gain. If an engineer can walk into GE and increase their solar cell from 13.3, 13% to 13.1%, that's a big deal. So jumping from 13% to 17% makes a very fundamental shift in the cost of solar. And again, we think this will open new markets. A little bit of background on the IP. Uh, the original IP behind this was invented in the Tobin Marks Group, which is where I did my PhD. Tobin has been working in this area for over 40 years, so brings a lot of expertise to addressing these problems. Sort of the uh, cocktail hour session that I would describe my PhD research is, if a solar cell is 10% efficient, what exactly is happening to that other 90%? And by focusing on this one particular problem, we think we can bring our customers substantial efficiency gains. So the benefits versus the incumbent technology, uh, performance and cost, as we've talked about, are substantial. But another key factor here is durability. And this is a key aspect that our technology brings that maybe some of the other new nano-exotic materials may not offer. It's a very similar metal oxide type chemistry, which has been demonstrated to have very extensive lifetimes. 
And uh, just one other, other area in the competition to highlight is some of the major competitors. You can think of them as glass manufacturers, Asahi, Pilkington. And then you have some new competitors in the space looking at nanomaterials such as C3Nano. Okay, so this is really where the rubber hits the road. This is where the cost benefit comes from. And again, it's due to a fundamental performance enhancement. So if you look at solar cells today, and you take a one square meter panel, that's going to cost the manufacturer about $96 to produce. Sun the high noon lights on this panel, and you're going to get about 130 watts out of it. That'll power about two light bulbs. That translates to 74 cents per watt. Now, what we do is we enable higher output from the solar panel with a production cost quite similar to today's cost. In fact, this is a conservative number. We think we could go below $97. And immediately you get to this cost savings. And that is the fundamental cost parameter in the solar industry. Can you drop your cost per watt? So clearly we have a difference of 17 cents per watt, and this is what will motivate our customers to purchase this technology. It's absolutely critical if you can shave pennies per watt, much less 17 cents per watt. Okay, getting to market. Again, we're not a manufacturer. Instead, we would sell into major manufacturers or startups. So we've got that covered here by GE, Dow, Sharp, and Nuvo Sun is a Silicon Valley startup. And another key aspect is we're not going to require retooling. So this is a drop-in replacement in two aspects. Number one, you don't have to change the architecture of your solar cell. And number two, you can use existing manufacturing equipment. Obviously key to keep capital costs low. We already have some initial customer traction with Dow. And this is key for two reasons, obviously, for the customer traction as well as providing some initial seed money. So th this relationship we're very excited about. And then finally, while we see as a small company, it's very important to stay focused on one product in the near term. In the long term, we're very excited about alternative markets. So just take your iPhone. If you look at the layer right below the glass, that is a transparent conductor. So these materials are everywhere, from your phone to your iPad to even your flat screen TV. So many market opportunities. Additionally, there's an emerging market of high efficiency lighting, OLEDs, that's what it's called, and that's already a multi-billion dollar industry. Each one of these markets are looking to replace their transparent conductors, and in the medium to long term, this opens new doors for our product. Finally, financials. In year one, we're looking to raise just under $1 million. And overall, our, our ask is going to be 5 to $10 million. The reason we can be relatively lean compared to existing solar manufacturers is due to the fact that we're not going to reinvent the wheel with, in terms of manufacturing equipment. We will work with our contract manufacturers and with our customers so that we don't have to buy every last piece of $10 million equipment that is often involved in this industry. Next steps. Clearly, demonstrating this with beta customers is critical. So we've demonstrated benefits at the small scale. We need to scale that up and establish customer validation and certification of the product. This means establishing manufacturing partners, supply chain management, and clearly expanding, expanding S2E team. Two critical areas, customer development as well as the manufacturing development. Thank you very much for your time. Next up on stage is, if you have kids, this is something that you want to listen to. Presenting to you, Happy Baby Vending. Hi, my name is Erica Harris, and I am the founder and current CEO of Happy Baby Vending. We're a vending machine company that sells healthy and organic snacks, as well as diapers, wipes, and about 40 other things in a vending machine. 
This idea actually came to me at a cheerleading competition in the restroom. I was washing my hands and a parent came in and she was so frustrated because her child did something really funky in their diaper and she had no backup. And she wasn't from the area, which is Pasadena, California, so she knew she had to leave, find some diapers, come back, repark, pay to repark, and then try to get back before her other child, which I assume was her daughter, to perform. And I thought it had to be easier than this. There should be a vending machine for that. So I kind of ran with the idea, and I asked every parent that I knew, my mom, my aunties, my cousins, my friends, is this a problem? Because I don't have kids. I assume that parents pack the child's whole room in these diaper bags. And first, of course, they laughed at me. And then they said, uh, yeah, this is a problem. And not just diapers. They forgot wipes. They forgot diaper ointment, snacks. So I started Happy Baby Vending as a vending machine company that conveniently offered products for parents uh, wherever they were going. And our vision is to be number one, be the number one baby care vending company. And doing that, we know we have to secure locations. And once we get into those locations, we know we have to supply, we have to have well, well-stocked, attractive machines. And then once we have those machines, we also have to make sure that we have great customer service. Too often, vending machines just don't, vending machine companies don't get back to their customers. We want to make sure that we're there, we respond, and everyone's happy. And then as an environmentally friendly company, we are constantly greening our business. This is a list of some of the products that we have in our machine. All of our snacks are, or, are all natural. 90% of them are organic. And as a nutritionist trained at UC Davis, I'm extremely meticulous about what I put in these machines. I'm looking at calories, I'm looking at, uh, at fiber, I'm looking at the ingredients. I want to make sure that even if it's for a snack, I'm still helping this obesity problem. I'm also very aware that children have all kinds of food allergies. They have celiac disease, they have, uh, they're lactose intolerant. So I want to make sure that even if, even, even if your child has some kind of allergen, they can still get something from our machines. Our, care, our, our target market are caregivers uh, zero, of zero to five children uh, with, with disposable income. That means everybody that has a kid and their kid needs something, they're our target. And this is a huge market. There were 16.4 million kids born in the US um, in this market, and, and 2.1 million in California alone. So this is this huge opportunity. And then there's 250,000 locations across the US. And a lot of them, we can put multiple machines in and they'll still be successful. So even though we do have competition, there's about eight machine, or machine companies that are doing something similar to ours. We still, there's still ample, time, ample room for not, a, only, uh, not only for us to grow, but to dominate this market. We are in the baby care industry, which is about $7 billion strong right now and has projections to grow to 20% by, grow 20% by 2015. We also sell in a vending machine, which this, this market is between 19 and $28 billion strong. And as the machines continue to get smarter and the products become more diverse, this, also, this industry will also grow. Currently, we have four machines one in waiting to be installed in June, and we are in negotiations with about 10 locations. We are in the beta testing phase. So we are, we're beta testing shopping malls to make sure that, we're beta testing shopping malls because we understand that the customer's intent is the same. They're gonna go shop, and they know they're going for a certain amount of time. The only, the only difference are the demographics. So we are testing to see what they buy, what they don't buy, and what type of, what type of transactions they use, they do. 
and we're going to take all this information, one, to, we're going to take this information to, one, understand our customer. So once we do grow, there's no guesswork. We're also going to use this information to negotiate better terms for our locations and for our, the pricing of our products. This is our organizational structure. I am management, so I'm the CEO. But I also have uh, advisors that are helping me set the foundation so that when we do grow exponentially, and we will, we don't implode on ourselves. We also, are contract, we also contract out our, our installer, our graphic arts, um, our graphic person that's from UC Davis also, and our exterior, our exterior graphics that wraps our machines. We also have access to a CPA, we have a paralegal, and a banking advisor when we need them. This is a very, very conservative growth plan. By the end of our five years, we want to grow to 180 machines. That means one machine per month per region. So the first region is Los Angeles, Inland Empire, and Ventura. The next, the next region, region two, is San Diego and Orange County, and so on and so forth. So right now, our only stream of revenue is being a vending, vending operator. But as we grow, we're looking to franchise, we want to become distributors of our products, we want to license Happy, Happy and his, uh, his friends that are in development, and we also want to sell the spiral space in our machines. So that means every product has its own set spiral space. So we're going to take the data we've been collecting to these product companies and say, hey, you want to keep your product in our vending machine? You're going to have to pay us. This is a chart of our average sales per machine per month. So in the beginning, we, in November, we, were, we had two machines, and that was $175 per machine. But as we have grown, as we grow, in May, we are, we are projected to do $483 per machine. And we have four machines. So this is our forecast, five-year forecast. At the third year, we will break even. And from there, we're, our revenues, which is our blue, uh, which is the blue line, will outpace our orange line, which is the, the expenses. And then our green line, our profit, will grow. So and what are we looking for? We're looking for $500,000, and that'll go towards our, our marketing, our machines, and our merchandise, and specifically our operations. As an investor, what do you receive? Well, you receive immediate tax benefits. We are at sub S corporations, so all of the losses and shortfalls will flow directly to you. You can write them off on your taxes. But then, in our fifth year, we will start to distribute profit. So 30% of all of our profit will be distributed to, to investors depending on the equity that they own. What is our exit strategy? We want to IPO or sell to a bigger company in 10 years or 100,000 machines. But as an investor, if you don't want to hold out that long, in five years, you can sell your, you sell your stock back to the company. So thank you. My name is Erica Harris, and I am Happy Baby Bendy. Up next, presenting their ideas on bladder cancer treatment, we have ICT. Good evening. I'd like to introduce you to Integrated Cancer Therapeutics. Our company focuses on bladder cancer therapy. Our mission is to improve the efficacy of bladder cancer treatment and to reduce surveillance expenses. Lung cancer breast cancer, prostate cancer, we've all heard about all these cancers. But not a lot of us have heard about bladder cancer. Did you know that it is one of the top 10 cancers in the United States? 
And did you know that it's more prevalent along, among males? Well, we first learned about bladder cancer from Professor Henderson and Professor Pan at UC Davis Medical Center. We then learned about the pains of bladder cancer from a cancer patient at Memorial Sloan Kettering. This patient went through the pains, the suffering, the agony of bladder cancer about 10 years ago. There are about 60,000 patients being diagnosed every year with bladder cancer. The treatment that's available to them is basically the same treatment that the patient from Sloan Kettering went through about 10 years ago. In other words, there has not been any significant improvement in bladder cancer treatment in the last decade. A patient suffering from bladder cancer has to go through a painful cytoscopy process. They have to go through the pains of not only the symptoms of the bladder cancer, but the pain of the diagnosis and then the treatment. The treatment involves this painful cytoscopy process which removes the cancer cells, but they also have to go through chemotherapy, which is done in two ways. It can be administered intravesically, where the drug is injected into the bladder, or it can be administered intravenously, where the drug is injected into the veins. But this treatment is not very effective. Depending on the type and the size of the cancer, the patient has to go through this treatment and the cytoscopy process every three to six months for three years. So because of the recurrence rate of this particular cancer, the patient has to follow up and do surveillance on a regular basis. This makes it a very, very expensive cancer to treat. ICT believes that we have found a solution. ICT's technology will reduce, will improve the efficacy of bladder cancer treatment and reduce surveillance costs. Bladder cancer is the fourth most common cancer in males and the ninth most common in females. There are about 60,000 patients being diagnosed every year. One in 42 people will be diagnosed with cancer, bladder cancer, during their lifetime. Now this represents about $7 billion worth of market, bladder cancer market, um, because of the expensive treatment of bladder cancer. This year, we're projected to have about 73,000 new cases of bladder cancer uh, diagnosed. But this cancer is not just restricted to the United States, it is global. We plan to first launch in the United States and then in Japan and Europe. We hope to gain about 25% of the market share. And I'm going to hand this over to Joni, who will talk about our technology. Now, let me introduce you to our first product, Kerogen. The significance of Kerogen is the PLC4 peptide, which binds directly to the bladder cancer cell and is newly discovered by Dr. Lam from UC Davis Medical Center. Kerogen consists of a nanocarrier which exteriorly binds with PLC4 peptide and internally fills it with palytectile, a drug that is commonly used to treat bladder cancer. Now let's look at the mechanism of our product. The nanocarrier binds to the bladder cancer cell due to the existence of PLC4 peptide. Then the chemotherapy drug palytectile is released into the bladder cancer cell and inhibits the growth of tumor cells. In our recent experiment, mice carry human bladder cancer cells were treated with standard cancer therapy. 
The graph shows the growth of cancer cells with different types of treatments. And obviously, keratin shows the highest efficacy in controlling the growth of cancer cells. Since PLC4 is our core focus of our product, we are adopting the technology platform business model. In the research platform, we have sustainable um, research science expertise from UC Davis Medical Center. Our products also have, to have patents pending to protect our nanocarrier and PLC4 technologies. At the clinical trial platform, we, have, we are currently in the progress of preclinical trial, and we are, have applied SBIR research funding from the NIH. Regarding our exit strategy, we're expected to be acquired by a pharmaceutical company at the phase three clinical trial. Moving forward to the launching process, ICT is ex going to collaborate with thought leaders, including physicians and medical school students to complete the clinical trial studies. Our technology will also be published in medical journal articles to promote to um, early adopters, including oncologists and surgeons. Since Kerogen saved patients half of the existing surveillance costs or an average of $100,000, our therapy is expected to be reimbursed by insurance companies. In the current market, gemcitabin, mitomycin C, and BCG are the three most commonly used prescribed treatments for bladder cancer treatments. However, none of these medications are specific to bladder cancer. Kerogen, on the other hand, uh, is going to maximize efficacy, minimize side effect, and minimize recurrence rate due to the implementation of PLC4 technology. There are two new pending medications emerging into the market. However, they are not specific to bladder cancer. Therefore, we do not see a threat of our entrance to the market in the future. This revenue projection is based on intravesical treatment only, which will take five years to complete the clinical trial study. By year nine, our product will be available to launch to the market. During the early introduction phase of our product, we're expecting to obtain three to eight percent of the market share by size. By year 11, ICT is estimated to reach 25% of the United States market share and generate over $500 million of revenue. The generic, since the generic formulation of Pelitexel has become available recently, our cost of production will remain low. ICT has a diversified management team. Candice is our VP of Business Development. She obtained sales and marketing experience from BioRed Laboratory, where she managed to increase sales revenue by 180% over 10 years. Yi is our VP of Legal Department. He has over four years of industrial experience in a startup pharmaceutical company, and he's also a registered patent. I am the CEO. I have over three years of research and development experience at Roche Molecular System, and I'm also an engineer who worked in a team that launched HPV diagnostic product last year. Understanding the lack of our finance experience, we are looking forward to bring a CFO as well as an experienced management team on board. ICT also has a knowledgeable scientific advisory board. Dr. Henderson is a cancer researcher. 
Dr. Pian is a practicing oncologist, and Dr. Lam is the inventor of the nanocarrier particle drug delivery system. In order to complete the entire clinical trial by year five, ICT is requesting only $80 million of funding from grants and investors. Since our product will fulfill unmet medical needs, ICT will reach its break-even point by year eight. And ICT's acquisition is expected to be announced between year four and year six. In the long run, ICT will continue our research effort in the drug delivery system. At the same time, ICT will explore other novel treatments by implementing other chemotherapy drugs and developing different peptides that will target lung cancer, breast cancer, and prostate cancer. Last but not least, ICT will enter the bladder cancer diagnostic industry. There are many patients in the world who have the same painful experience as the patient we mentioned at the beginning of this presentation. ICT's missions are to improve the quality, the efficacy of cancer treatment, and to improve the quality of life of all cancer patients. Thank you. Thank you, ICT. Um, I'm sure that all of you have always wanted to, you know, contribute more to the environment. For all you know, road-wise technologies might pave the way for that. Up next is Roadwise Technologies. Hello, my name is Ryan Lohr. This is Julia Salguero, Jennifer McGuire, and Andrew Davidson, and our company is Roadwise Technologies. Now imagine, it's a blistering hot August afternoon. You're stuck in traffic on the way home from work. All across Sacramento, air conditioning units are blaring. And you think to yourself, you know, rather than contributing to all this non-renewable energy consumption, what if I could actually help harvest renewable energy while I drive home from work. Well, at Roadwise, we aim, this to, aim to make this a reality. Our vision is to harvest currently wasted energy from roadways throughout the world. To accomplish this, we have developed Dynafilm, which is a thin film that is installed underneath roadway asphalt. Now, Dynafilm actually acts as a replacement for traditional paving fabrics with the added benefit of generating energy. Now, Dynafilm relies on novel nanotechnology to harvest currently wasted energy created by the sun's heat and the pressure from passing vehicles. Roadwise will sell the energy that Dynafilm generates directly to utility companies, and every five miles of Dynafilm installed on highway will generate enough energy to power 1,200 homes. Now, we all know that energy is a necessity with a growing demand. This is especially true for non-renewable energy sources. And Roadwise offers a renewable alternative by harvesting currently wasted energy that will power America into the future. Looking a little closer at our technology itself, Dynafilm is an environmentally friendly thin film that uses both thermo and piezoelectric nanotechnologies. Thermoelectric generation captures wasted heat energy that's stored in asphalt, while piezoelectric generation captures energy created by the pressure of passing vehicles. You know, we typically think of asphalt as this really hard, rigid surface, but it actually does flex every time a car passes over it. And taking advantage of this flexing over the course of a day or a year or 20 years really is... Uh, allows us to harvest a significant amount of energy through piezoelectric generation. Now, we curr currently have a lab-scale prototype, and we're looking to scale this up to a 12-foot by 12-foot section for testing under roadway conditions. 
Aspects of Dynafilm technology are based on patents out of the University of California and Lawrence Livermore National Labs. And we're going to be looking to obtain licensing agreements for these patents. In addition to patenting our own unique uh, combined generation technology, in addition to this very special roll-to-roll -roll manufacturing process that we've developed. Uh, our manufacturing process really allows us to scale up our nanotechnology quickly and affordably. These rolls are going to be 12 feet wide, um, and they're going to be applied directly underneath layers, the top layer of asphalt, and then connected into the grid every mile to supply energy to local communities. Looking at the roadwise market, we're targeting a $5 billion annual energy market. And this is actually a conservative estimate based on the amount of miles paved every year. Annually, the United States pays 50,000 miles of roads, and California is responsible for almost 4,000 of these miles. Now, these 4,000 miles creates a $500 million annual energy market just in California alone. And one of the reasons we're focusing on California is because of the high miles paved in combination with the current state energy regulations. California has what's called the Renewables Portfolio Standard, or the RPS. Now, the RPS is a state regulation which mandates utility companies to acquire a certain percentage of their energy from renewable sources. RPS programs exist in other states and other countries as well, but California is really leading the way uh, in clean energy mandates. In fact, as some of you probably know, uh, you, California utilities must reach a 33% standard by 2020. So why is this important for Roadwise? Well, as I said earlier, we're going to be selling our energy directly to utility companies. And this is really where the RPS program comes in, because it creates a structured market for doing just that. Now, we'll first start with the renewable auction mechanism, which the California Energy Commission created as a way to streamline the RPS process for new and emerging energy companies, just like Roadwise. Um, we've currently, or we've thoroughly researched the, the, the markets for Dynafilm, and we've talked to our advisors, and they agree that RPS really is the ideal market for Roadwise. However, there are other options that we're currently exploring. One would be to work with a local city, such as Davis, contract with Davis, install Dynafilm, underneath all the Davis roads and feed that energy directly to Davis energy needs. And that would be an option outside the RPS market. And we're currently looking into that right now. So clearly, our business requires a lot of work with government and private companies as well. And we've already formed three crucial partnerships with that in mind. The first is with Caltrans. We're working with Stephen Prey, who's the Caltrans State Energy Programs Coordinator. And he's really providing a lot of inside support and knowledge to further Dynafilm installation in the highways. Uh, Roadwise actually, um, working with Roadwise has multiple incentives for Caltrans. Uh, first, because they're a state agency, they're subject to heightened uh, clean energy requirements, which Dynafilm will help them achieve. In addition, it's really a cost-saving mechanism for them because uh, Dynafilm actually extends the life of the roadways. In addition, we're partnering with Granite Construction Company, which is one of the nation's leading paving companies. Uh, we've been meeting with John Franich, who's the vice president of Granite, and he's really excited to work with Roadwise. They just started a whole new green technology program, and Dynafilm is exactly the type of technology that they're looking for. They're going to be providing testing support uh, for our prototype at their headquarters in Watsonville. Uh, in addition, we're working with Compass Components, which is an electrical engineering and manufacturing contractor, and they're really going to be integral in designing a lot of the, compo a lot of the components that are necessary for Dynafilm. In addition, there's also two partnerships that we're looking to obtain in the near future. The first is with Orange County Material Test Labs, and we're looking to them to perform accelerated durability and stress testing for Dynafilm. In addition, of course, is working with California Utilities. And right now we're in contact with the TRIO program, which is an incubator for renewable energy startups, and we're looking to TRIO to really as a great avenue to enter the RPS market. 
So one of, the, one of the reasons these partnerships are so crucial is because of installation and integration of Dynafilm. So I said, as I said earlier, Dynafilm acts as a replacement for traditional paving fabrics, which are used as a sealant under the top layer of asphalt. Dynafilm will serve this same perfect purpose, extend the lifetime of the roadways, and help generate energy. So really, because it's replacing traditional paving fabrics, it doesn't alter the paving process at all. In terms of integration, this is really where our partnership with Compass comes into play. They're going to be uh, doing the designing for our wiring, our interconnects, and our inverters. And these interconnects uh, probably are not what you're thinking of as the typical interconnect. They're, they're actually very small, about 30 inch, and they're pretty affordable and very efficient. They really, their technology has uh, further advanced because of solar, and we're just going to be piggybacking on that. Um, so in terms of our competition, there's one of our direct competitors is a company called Inawat Tech, and they're currently working with the California Energy Commission to uh, test their design for piezoelectric generation in roadways. They use these large piezoelectric generators, and one of the main problems with these generators is that they require uh, complete roadway overhaul, and it really, doesn't, uh, it really doesn't integrate into the existing transportation infrastructure at all. In addition, they, cut a, they cause a lot of uh, roadway degradation, which really steals energy from cars and significantly decreases your gas mileage. I mean, who really wants that? Um, in addition, for not... For, for our indirect competitors, there's, of course, solar and wind. Um, and both of these require expansive amounts of land, which is often far removed from the, the grids that they're feeding their energy. This results in really high transmission costs and a lot of energy loss in the transmission process. Now, RoadWise offers significant advantages over both wind and solar. First is our, one of, well, one of our reasons is predictability. And, you know, solar and wind, predicting the weather, it's kind of hit and miss sometimes. But Predicting traffic patterns is actually really accurate. Um, there's thorough studies, studies being conducted every day. And this is something that's really important for utility companies uh, because they need to know exactly when the peak output's going to be coming in and when they're going to need to supply energy. And because of all this predictable traffic, the energy that Dynafilm produces really will be predictable. And that's a huge plus for utility companies. In addition, we're using local energy distribution. So we're going to be generating the energy locally on the roads you drive on every day and supplying those same areas. This is a significant advantage over wind and solar because we're avoiding all the transmission costs and the energy loss associated with that. So looking at our financials a little bit, every mile of Dynafilm is going to cost $25,000 to manufacture and install. There's a breakdown you can see up here. The film is about $10,000, and then the interconnects, wiring, and inverters are going to be roughly $14,000. Um, and each mile will produce 30 or 300 kilowatt hours of energy, and that's average energy, not peak energy. Um, and this will allow us to obtain $65,000 per year in profits. And this profit is actually compounded annually over the lifespan of Dynafilm. So, you know, you're making $65,000 the first year, and that's just going to be continued. So the initial manufacturing install, installation costs really are pretty insignificant in the long run. We're going to be selling our energy at 2.5 cents per kilowatt hour, which should allow us to obtain profitability by the year 2016. So looking at our team a little bit more, I'm the CEO, and I'm entering my third year of law school at UC Davis. I have significant uh, experience in business, corporate, and tax law. Jennifer is a graduate from UC Davis School of Law, and she's worked for the California EPA under the Air Resources Board, and she's really going to be advising our team on the environmental and IP issues, which are so crucial to our business. 
Uh, Julia is a field engineer for Granite Construction Company, and she's really been integral in forming this partnership that we have for Granite to further, to further Dynafilm installation. And then for scientists, we have Zane, who wasn't able to be here tonight, but he's a chemistry PhD student. He has, he's founded a number of nanotech startups, and he's really going to be focusing on uh, optimizing our technology. And then finally, we have Andrew, who's also a chemistry PhD student at Davis, and he's really going to be focused on scaling up our technology. So looking at the next steps for Roadwise, uh, with the ward money and then from future funding, we first plan to secure our intellectual property. Uh, we're, going, we're looking to obtain le exclusive licensing agreements with the University of California and the Lawrence Livermore National Labs for those patents I discussed earlier. We're actually already in negotiations for these agreements and we expect for them to be finalized uh, by the end of July. In addition, we want to hire a part-time electrical engineer with industry experience who will help us complete our 12 foot by 12 foot prototype for testing with granite. We then plan to, raise, plan to raise $1 million in seed venture funding, which will really help us develop our manufacturing capabilities and uh, do durable, durability testing with Orange County materials. We then plan to raise Series A and Series B funding to really scale up our technology, develop our manufacturing facilities, and actually start selling the energy that Dynafilm generates. At the same time, we're also, also actively pursuing non-diluting government grants, uh, including California Peer Grant, SBIR, and RBE. So what we've shown you here today is an amazing new technology with a dynamic team and a potential to greatly impact the energy markets in California and throughout the world. We've also shown you an effective go-to-market strategy. And now we ask for your help in paving the way for clean energy. Thank you. And now, to talk more about the MedTech track and tell us if any of the teams that participated and presented in today's finals actually won the MedTech track award, we have Gabriela Lee. She's the Chief Knowledge Transfer Officer at NSF Center for Biophotonic Science and Technology. Gabriela, can you please have you on stage, please? Hello, good evening, everybody. So I'm Gabriela Lee, Chief Knowledge Transfer Officer at the uh, Center for Biophotonics, Science and Technology, which is a uh, highly interdisciplinary center where our scientists in uh, uh, different fields come and work together to find solutions for medicine and life science, including instrumentation. So we have physicists, we have chemists, um, uh, talk, they talk with physicians, they find out what are some medical needs, and they try to find solutions. Um, having such uh, interdisciplinary uh, team of people at CBST, we've always been interested in finding real solutions to real problems. Uh, one of the programs that we applied uh, to NSF for funding is uh, Partnerships for Innovation. Uh, essentially, we uh, propose to um, encourage uh, unmet medical needs proposals or white papers from physicians at the UC Davis Medical Center, and then looking for solutions provided by biomedical engineers and physicists and others. Uh, and then for that solution, um, technical solution, then uh, Business students and law school students could work together to devise uh, commercialization plans. 
We do have a number of partners, uh, the UC Davis Health System, uh, CBSD, College of Engineering, Graduate School of Management, and the Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship, uh, colleagues from Fisk University, a university in uh, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and California State University in Sacramento, uh, Los Rios, SARTA, that's uh, Sacramento Area Regional Technology Alliance, uh, Pride Industries in uh, Wavepoint Ventures, T2 Venture Capital, Fenwick & West, DLA Piper, and the cities of Sacramento, City of West Sacramento, and Davis. This Partnerships for Innovation program ran for uh, two years. We are approaching the end of it, but we were happy for this year to work with the Big Bang Business Plan Competition uh, to provide MedTech Track Awards um, for the students uh, who worked on the uh, medical technology track. And in general, I would say that although the, the grant uh, is approaching its end, um, there are many people on the UC Davis campus that support uh, collaborations between physicians and engineers and uh, physicists and there's a lot uh, that more that can be done also with uh, students from the medical school and uh, business school and the law school to uh, provide rich educational experience and practice by doing uh, on how to develop business plans. So thank you for your attention. Now for the most awaited moment of this evening, the winners of Big Bang 2012. I'll announce the winners in the reverse order. The second place winner of Big Bang 2012 is Happy Baby Winding. Now, the first place winner of Big Bang 2012 is Simple Clean Tech. Congratulations. Now, for the People's Choice Award for Big Bang 2012, Roadwise Tech. Congratulations. Now I invite Gabriella Lee to please come and announce the MedTech Track winners. So MedTech, the MedTech Track uh, winner is the Integrated Cancer Therapeutics, and the uh, team, and together with the uh, investigators, uh, are winning a fifteen thousand dollars award. Congratulations, winners. The Sacramento Business Journal recently had a cover story of, a, of the UC Davis Cancer Center highlighting Dr. Paul Henderson's 2011 Big Bang winning product, that is the Accelerated Medical Diagnostics. The Big Bang is extremely proud to have been associated with Dr. Paul Henderson, and Big Bang hopes to pave the way for more such ideas to turn into action. 
We thank all the sponsors again for making this program what it is, and we hope to see you all again in Big Bang 2013. Thank you all for coming tonight. Have a good evening. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.